So, hi, um, my name is Freya, and I just want to start off by telling you that I am 21. Um, I'm telling you this because one of my illustrations may lead you to believe I'm 85, but I am, in fact, 21 years old. So this evening, we're looking at Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and it reads, And he is the head of the body, the church. He referred to there is, of course, Jesus. And so the title of this talk is, He is the Head. Over the past few weeks, we've heard that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the creator through whom and for whom all things were made. And he is the sustainer, holding all things together, the one in, in total control. This evening, we'll consider Jesus as the head of the body, the church. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, they were believing in all sorts of things, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. They had some false teachers around who were leading them down different religious rabbit holes, and they'd lost connection with the head, Jesus. Paul reminds them that Jesus, the image of God, their creator and their sustainer, is the head of them, the church in Colossae. The passage we're looking at in this series is a detailed and powerful description of Jesus. Paul knows that once the Colossian church understand who Jesus really is, once they remember his sufficiency for them and supremacy in their lives, it will help them to live lives pleasing to Jesus. The knowledge will protect them against mistakes and trusting in the wrong things. So firstly, let's consider the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. The church is the company of those who share in risen life, and it is the new humanity. The church is not a building or an institution, a religion or a name. The church is God's work. He surrendered glory to call it into being with those very first disciples. It was so important to him that there was nothing he wouldn't surrender for it. It is what Jesus died to create, his greatest and most cosmic miracle. His church is his people, his family, his bride and his body. It is where his spirit, the spirit of God, dwells. The church is the light of the world. It is the salt of the earth. It is the feet that bring good news. It's the legacy of the cross on the earth. For anyone, for everyone, no conditions or prerequisites. The church is the gospel personified and the gospel applied. It is lives changed and repurposed for Jesus. We are his church. We are the church. And this passage tells us that as his church, he is our head. When I was preparing for this, I, um, I remembered that I did a degree in neuroscience at university. <laughs> and I actually know quite a lot about heads and what they do. So inside our head, we have a brain. Um, learned that in first year. <laughs> and our brain is incredibly important. It controls just about the whole body. Um, some examples, it makes us eat and drink, 
controls where we go and what we do. It makes us laugh. It makes us sleep. It responds to pain. And if you've ever stood on Lego, you'll know that you jump off the Lego. That's your brain. You don't have to decide to do that. Our brain keeps us warm. It keeps us cool. And it makes us breathe. You see, the head is essential for our life. Without it, we aren't even breathing. Paul describes Jesus as the head. He's not, using, not just using the metaphor that Jesus is the head and the church are the body. The Greek word Paul is using for head also means that Jesus is the head, the one with ultimate authority and highest rank. So Jesus is the head of the church. He's both essential to our life and has authority over it. So let's look at those two things. Firstly, Jesus as the head is essential to our life. And as the church, we are dependent on him for life. The Gospel of John, which is one of the um, stories of Jesus' life, tells us something about the life that Jesus gives us as Christians. In John chapter 4, we see Jesus encounter a Samaritan woman at a well. He says to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Samaritan woman, she'd been looking for life elsewhere. She'd gone from husband to husband to husband, but she'd not found happiness or fulfillment. She'd been looking for life where she only found dissatisfaction and ultimately in things that would lead to her death. You see, if Jesus is the ultimate and only source of life, anything besides him is a source of death. When I was 16, one of my lifelong dreams came true. My nan rang me up and said, Freya, I have got us tickets to BBC's Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> yeah. After weeks of um, pondering, I finally decided which antique I was going to take with me. Um, obviously, I chose something that I felt was so outstandingly brilliant um, that I would probably be on TV. I took with me a dog figurine. It was made of bronze, and I'd found it on the shore of a Welsh beach. I thought the unusual backstory would help. Um, so my nan took with her an antique of her own, and we arrived at the roadshow. It was very exciting. There were antiques everywhere. And um, we were told to queue up in the correct queue. There was like art furniture, figurines, and we were to have our antiques evaluated. So after queuing for an hour and a half in the rain, the expert on ornaments and figurines inspected my dog. <laughs> he turned it over in his hands and he paused for a moment. He looked me in the eye and he said, sadly, this is worth more if you melt it down. It's not really of any value as it is. I was crushed. 
The thing I was so expectant of, the thing I thought was my ticket to Antiques Roadshow fame, was empty and worthless, and it was not what I had thought it was. Thankfully, I still had a wonderful day, and my nan's antique turned out to be pretty special. I did make it onto the program in a three-second pan of a queue, <laughs> and I saw Fiona Bruce. But that crushing feeling in the pit of my stomach, the feeling of your world falling out from under you, the Samaritan woman, she would have felt that again and again as she looked for life in things of this world, and they continued to let her down to not be all that they had promised. In life, when we put our hope in things, when we find life in things, or put our trust in things that are not Jesus, they will always lead to that crushing disappointment I felt on that day, and then some more. But nothing Jesus will ever offer us will bring death. He is life. He gives us living water. He knows us totally. He loves us completely. And so what he offer up, offers us, despite circumstance, personality, upbringing, sin, he knows it all. The life he offers us is all sufficient. Always, for everyone, individually, the whole church, each and every soul. It is the better life being known and loved. Earlier in John, before this story, there is a very famous verse that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus did not condemn the Samaritan woman for where she had looked for life. He convicted her of her mistakes, and then he gently and personally, knowing his total sufficiency and supremacy to do what he was doing, offered her, rejected and hurting, the greatest gift of them all. And in that moment, she joined the company of those who share in risen life. Jesus as our head, as our source of life, the one sustaining us, refreshing our souls, satisfying our need to be known and loved and chosen, we must stay connected to him. The head, the one who keeps us breathing. Jesus is not only the source of our life, but as the head, first in rank, supreme and superior, he has all authority over it. I'm going to tell you a joke. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> if you've heard it before, I'm sorry. I've modernized it slightly. Um, here we go. <laughs> there once was a man called Gary. And Gary had two passions in his life. The first was his dog. I can't tell you what breed it was, so I'm not into dogs. The second was tractors. You see, Gary absolutely loved tractors. 
big ones and small ones and old ones and new ones. He had tractor posters on the walls of his bedroom. He had a tractor calendar. He had tractor bed sheets. He subscribed to tractors quarterly and he went to tractor shows. And you see, one day, Gary took his beloved dog, Jess, for a walk in the fields to go tractor spotting. And as Gary was gazing into the field over, the unthinkable happened. He heard a yelp. He turned around, and his beloved dog, Jess, had been killed by a tractor. Gary was fuming. He went home and he tore down his tractor posters. He ripped off his bed sheets. He collected up his magazines and his tractor paraphernalia and took it into the garden, doused it with petrol and set it alight. A couple of weeks later, Gary was moping around. He was feeling low. And so he decided to go to the pub to drown his sorrows. When he got there, though, he was met by a fruity vapor. There were lots of people using e-cigarettes in the pub. <laughs> Gary went over to the bar, and he ordered a drink. But the barman said, Gary, I'm so sorry, I can't serve you. It's too smoky in here. I'm going to have to shut. Gary said, oh, maybe I can help you with that. Before the barman could say anything, Gary inhaled. And he inhaled again, and he inhaled again, until the entire pub was free from smoke. He went outside, and he let it all out into the night air in one big blow. <laughs> he went back in and went over to the bar, and he said, do you think I could have that drink now? The barman was astonished and looked at him and said, Gary, how did you do that? Gary shrugged and said, I'm an ex-tractor fan. Oh. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes in our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, our lives can look like Gary's. We trust Jesus, okay? We love him. We surrender everything. We give him control. But as soon as something happens, maybe we lose someone. Maybe it's something, a job, a relationship, a friendship, something we were hoping for, our security. Our reflex and our reaction can be to take back control. It can be to be angry or hurt or upset and we can allow distrust back into our hearts. We can allow fear in. See, our trust in Jesus can be based on what we see in our lives rather than who he is. Our trust can be circumstantial. This year, I've been going through some difficult things. I've been dealing with some of the hurt from my past with God. And when I started out, I trusted that he was in control. I knew that he was going to start the work, and I knew that he was going to finish it. But then things got hard. I hit a sort of rock bottom. I was feeling so incredibly sad, facing pain I hadn't dealt with in the past. And when I hit that point, I questioned God. I said to him, 
I thought you had this. I thought you were in control of this. Are you here? Are you doing the right thing? Can I quit? The trust I'd set out with, the obedience and surrender and faith I had started out with, I was turning around and clawing it back. Quitting would have been the exact picture of me saying, I don't trust you with this. It would have been me saying, you don't have this God, and I need to do something to protect myself. And you see, for Jesus to be our head, for him to be the one who is first in our lives, the one leading us, we have to trust him. And how do we do that? We remember who he is. Jesus is the head that died to bring us into new and shared risen life. He is the servant king, the paradox, the one who made himself nothing, who took on the limits of humanity to die for a people who rejected and killed him. He could have walked away from the cross, but we were the very joy set before him. He is the head that we do not deserve. He loves us fiercely and without fault. He loves us beyond our comprehension. He leads us kindly into plans crafted for us by his hands. The best plans. Plans we could never conceive. Plans so good, so perfect and so eternal. He is the head that sustains us in our weakness the head that does work through us and for us, a broken humanity, the head that includes us and uses us and perfects us. He chooses us as the vehicle of his kingdom to bring people in and point them to himself. All authority on, on, on heaven and on earth belongs to him. He is the head in control he has never been and will never be corrupted. He cannot let us down. He will never lie. He is never selfish or conceited. He doesn't have hidden motives. He has never and will never sin. He is the perfect head. At the end of my story of processing my past, Jesus brought me to a breakthrough. He led me out of that season and completed the work that he had started, just as he was always going to do. Despite my doubts and fear, temptation to quit, despite my wavering trust, he pursued me. And together, not in my own strength, we made it through. Because that is the head that he is kind, trustworthy, and love himself. The story of the church has always been one of trust. When Jesus called those very first disciples out of their lives and into a new one with him, they first had to trust him. You see, between us and Jesus, trust is everything. Trust says we believe he is who he says he is. Trust makes sacrifice easy. 
Trust silences lies. Trust causes us to pray for that sick person. Trust leads us into that forgotten community. Trust empowers us to plant that church. When we trust him, really trust him, he can lead us to the ends of the earth. When Jesus is our source of life and we trust him, we begin to look like the church that he deserves. Last week, my mum shared a quote with me that as Christians, our lives should make absolutely no sense without Jesus. And it's a challenge I want to share with you as I finish this evening. Is he truly our source of life? If you took him away, would everything still make sense? Are you leaning on things of this world? Are you finding life amongst the dead? Are you looking to money, friends, parents, jobs, your future to keep you breathing? Or is it him? Do you trust him? Is he the one leading your life? If you took him away, would your decisions make sense? Are they just like the rest of the world's? Are they made out of fear or pride or personal gain? Whether life is easy or it is hard, he remains the very same, trustworthy and good. The church is his greatest work. As a part of it, our lives are living reflections of the glory of God and his transforming power. We are the light of the world and the salt of the earth, and our lives should make absolutely no sense without him. We're going to stand and worship Jesus, our head, together now.